Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au.
3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au and 3CR On Demand. Out of the pan with Sally. First broadcasting noon till one Australian Eastern Standard Time um, every Sunday. And of course, while I think of it, next Sunday, of course, we're over to Daylight Savings Time. Make the adjustments as needed. 3CR proudly broadcasts from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge any Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander people tuning in from wherever you are and any Indigenous peoples all over planet Earth. And if you want to get in touch with the show, um, Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender, you can um, email outofthepan855 at gmail.com, SMS 61456 tweet at Sal Gold said so, and that's the bottom line. And look for the posts on Facebook, Sally Goldner AM, and out of the pan, 3CR 855 AM Melbourne. And remember, any uh, opinions expressed on this program are my own personal ones and have no automatic connection to any organisation with which um, I'm um, involved. And if you need the services of Switch um, Q Life, including Switchboard 1800 184527, there may be a mention of lateral hostility and privilege on this show today. Well, opened up with Pride. It's been a big week of Pride for Bi Plus people with Celebrate Bi Week and the um, conclusion today of the Australia New Zealand Stand By Us conference. And good luck to those in Perth having the final event this afternoon. Hope those in Auckland and Brisbane went well yesterday. Um, it's been huge, um, but it's also been another big week, which is why Doubly chose to open up with Jonah and the classic anthem, Pride. I awoke Saturday morning after um, getting some sleep back, goodness me, a rare thing in, these, in this year, to a very, very interesting email that a co-president of the organisation Interpride, the organisation that um, sort of connects world um, Pride marches around the world, had resigned. And his reasoning was something that, in a nice way, made my heart leap. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the show, and I'm praying that the technology works, said the person who remembers telegrams from years ago. Um, so if you are able to, just um, listeners, to tap in and say you can hear my guest in a second after I introduce him, please welcome all the way live from Geneva, Switzerland, Andrew Baker. Welcome to 3CR. Thank you for having me. Uh, hope I can be heard. We'll find out in just a moment. Yeah. Um, it's, um, um, you know, I'm sort of, as I say, I'm, I'm more anxious about the technology um, than anything well, else. Well, I mean, doing it this way is always fun. It is. Um, yeah, look, it would be. It's been it, a learning lesson with, during COVID um, on how to use technology more and more because uh, so many of us are staying in place. Um and so we've been learning so much about how to do remote work and the technology that people have started to utilize is unbelievable. Yeah, um, very, very huge. I've caught up a bit. And of course, um, there'll be a lexicon of 2020, including those immortal words, you're on mute. Um, but uh, I hope our listeners can um, hear loud and clear. Um, and I'll keep an eye on the social medias to see if um, anything is happening. I also forgot to thank the crew from Out of the Blue who dive deep for marine news every Sunday from 11.30 till noon, the show preceding this one. Um, Andrew, I might get you to start our interview. Um, just at risk of sounding like a job interview, tell me about yourself, <laughs> but from a point of view of diversity and your involvement in what I'm going to call 
um, rainbow movements um, to keep it shorthand for today and keep it as international as possible. I'll start. Th- we'll start there. All right. So, so not sure what kind of job interview this is for, but here we go. Um, so, yeah. So, my name's uh, Andrew Baker. Um, most people see my written name with a J in front. It stands for James, but I don't use that name. So, lots of people. Um, many have called me J. Andrew Baker, and others occasionally with a language influx call me Jandrew Baker. And uh, yeah, that one makes my te- teeth grit a bit, but uh, smile and nod. Uh, I am originally from Canada. Uh, I was born and raised in central Ontario um, and uh, come from uh, rural and and, uh, small city spaces, but primarily uh, rural and small town spaces. And so I spent a lot of time in Canada um, from my teenage years into my 20s doing a lot of activism for the LGBTI community. Uh, Founded in Canada, two pride organizations and was part of the founding of a third. Um, So founded a student-led pride at Georgian College in Canada Mm -hmm. when I was a student there. Uh, That still operates to this day. So it's uh, going on probably 12 or 13 years since I was a student there. Uh, I went uh, back to college later in life uh, and studied Mm -hmm. uh, Indigenous Studies and Community Development. And then I founded uh, two rural prides and um, a lot of the theme of my activism in Canada uh, related to the LGBT community was about being able to be LGBT uh, wherever you were. Um, during that time, I worked for a period of eight years with an organization called Rainbow Health Ontario mm-hmm. and um, have come to get involved globally in the pride movement through my activism. Uh, originally nationally in Canada, I was the vice president of governance at Piette Canada Pride. Um, and uh, did some amazing work there and then eventually moved on and served uh, on a series of committees at Interpride and ended up right at what some people will call the top, sometimes feels like the bottom, um, (laughs) as co-president of the organization. Um, Yeah, and uh, Interpride's a really amazing organization as much as um, I did a statement and a lot of people are using the phrase call out. I actually prefer the phrase call in. Um, there's a reason why I'm not naming anybody or doing those specific things, because I really do think that what's in the statement that I released isn't just about Interpride. It's about all networks of pride organizations and every pride organization on the ground is struggling with very similar things. And we don't talk about it enough publicly. Yeah, look, a lot in there. And look, um, the job interview is just so that listeners understand your diverse background. And so you passed with flying colours. You've got the job. Um, I just have to work out the pay scale. Um, there, there was many things we could talk about there, but there was one that said um, something to me that I think is really important. You mentioned you, your studies, amongst other things, were involved in Indigenous studies. And um, that was um, something that I really wanted to you know, if you wanted to touch a little more on that, because I think that's important. Yeah, of course. I'm super happy. So um, I'm a, uh, in terms of like modern thinker, you would call me an Indigenous. Um, I approach the world through an Indigenous framework, Um, have um, a a mixed ancestry, but um, strong ties to um, the um, Ojibwe or Anishinaabe communities of central Ontario. Um, and I 
study Indigenous studies, and I worked in Indigenous communities in Canada and around the globe uh, for many, many years. Um, was part of the Friendship Centre movement in Canada for about 10 years, where I led a lot of programs with at-risk youth and with um, Indigenous families around employment and training and uh, cultural, um, um, uh, cultural framing. Um, in terms of Indigenous communities, I'm an Indigenous language speaker. I speak Ojibwe uh, or Anishinaabemowin. Um, and so highly functional second language speaker. It was a language that was taken away from our communities in Canada. And so um, many would call me a revitalizationist. I don't actually feel like that living in Geneva where I have very few opportunities to uh, do that work now. But, um, but I taught for a number of years actually at my alma mater, um, Georgian College, I specifically taught um, organizational development for Indigenous community organizations, helping new leaders come up, and uh, Indigenous language and uh, cultural aspects. Cool. Now, that's really important. So not only do you get the um, the job, you'll get a higher pay scale for uh, respect and um, lived expect expertise of diversity. Um, seriously, it is really important to acknowledge that. And I also just want to thank Nigel James roving reporter and Hoffler who have said that they can all hear you so I'm taking huge deep breaths and have caught up my technology 60 years but I think that that diverse intersectional background is really important to what I woke up to um, Saturday morning Australian time checking my overnight emails and that is that you um, put out a statement which is on Facebook at um, your Facebook page um, you know sort of a a. James Baker, as you mentioned, and also um, your... Uh, J. Andrew Baker. I beg your pardon, J. Andrew Baker. I'll get that right, Andrew. Um, <laughs> and there's a statement in both English and French um, about the fact that you um, have submitted your resignation as a co-president of Interpride. And I'm wondering if you can talk to that statement um, first of all, and or, and simultaneously explain some of the um, issues behind making that statement of resignation. Of course, so. Um, so first and foremost, a lot of people are calling it a resignation, and in some ways it is, and in other ways it isn't, um, because what it really is is it's a statement that I am not seeking re-election. Um, I had considered um, resigning um, a number of months ago, but I'm acutely aware that um, resignation doesn't always, um, like, it carries a profound statement, yes, but also resignation prevents um, sometimes an organization from being able to respond effectively. Um, and so within the struggles that Interpride is facing and other Pride organizations are facing, I'm very conscious of the fact that Interpride has the capacity to do amazing things. And mm -hmm. I want to ensure that I'm able to support whoever steps into this role at the general meeting of the organization next week, which is the first one that they're holding uh, online, uh, virtually. Uh, welcome to um, uh, the new normal, we'll call it that. Mm -hmm. um, we've actually held hybrid... Um, general meetings before where people were able to access um, via uh, like a, a webinar service, but this is the first time that it'll be fully um, 
a global conference done completely online for the organization. And so I felt it was very important that the reasons why I was not seeking to renew my term uh, during this general meeting were known to the public. Mm -hmm. um, the organization's facing a lot of issues. The pride movement is facing a lot of issues. And increasingly, you talked about rainbow movements. This is not just a pride movement issue. This is a LGBTI human rights movement issue. This is a, mm -hmm. across the board, it's a, it's a struggle that the um, queer um, community, um, whatever acronym you happen to use locally <laughs> in Canada, they use 2SLGBTQIA+, mm -hmm. is very common. Um, it's probably similar in Australia, but I do highlight that, um, that that plus represents a whole bunch of identities under an umbrella. And um, it's very difficult to include all those identities. Uh, but we're talking about communities of diverse sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions, and sex characteristics. Absolutely. That's kind of how I view it. Yeah. And so uh, the statement really was a call in. A lot of people are referring it to it as a call out, but I wanted to call people in to number one, highlight the challenges that people in leadership roles face and the struggles that they face as individuals um, trying to do the best for their community. But also at the same time as they're doing that, they're also facing their own personal challenges, their own personal traumas, their own personal difficulties. And one of the things that happens within that is that so many leaders have ended up in the positions that they're in because of the privilege that they either had because of their family or their economic situation or um, the color of their skin, etc. Or it comes from privileges that they built over time that have allowed them to end up in those positions. And that privilege creates a barrier for a lot of people. And it creates a barrier that uh, they sometimes forget what it is like to be marginalized or what the experiences are of somebody who's experiencing discrimination in that moment. And most importantly, I think a lot of those leaders struggle to realize that they discriminate or isolate groups within our own community. And they don't necessarily effectively know how to address that or even acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we end up stuck in a space where pride continues to be very white, very male, very cisgendered. Um, and even when it's not in that space, it becomes very gay and very lesbian. Um, it's not necessarily a diverse representation of our community, even though it is trying to be. And the only way that you can foster that change is by acknowledging that there's a challenge there that our community needs to face. Yeah. Look, so much there. And first of all, I want to acknowledge one of our, we don't have regular listeners on this show. We have awesome listeners. One of our awesome listeners, Roving Reporter, has come, come in with a couple of comments and said that I think that um, you're demonstrating great leadership and it's not a resignation at all and agreed and said, yes, preach. So, and I, look, I, I'm trying to maintain a balance of presenter objectivity, but I admit that I'm happily struggling because I agree with the comments. And what you are saying is very, very true. It can be hard when we're traumatised as 
at least 99.99% of LGBTI plus people um, you know, sort of have faced trauma. There's no one yet who's had a perfect life, to my knowledge, um, in, we'll say, the last, well, 2,000 years, give or take. But um, the thing is, um, you know, how do we move past that? How do we start moving past that? And, um, you know, um, roving reporters come in and said that you've nailed it. Um, and I think you've got something there. How do we hold space with empathy and compassion for each other as genuine equals with genuine equality and respect is this huge issue. And, you know, it's sort of how can we start um, doing more of it, I suppose, is my question to you. You know, one of the things that I reflect upon um, when I think about the question that you asked is you can guarantee no matter who you are that you're going to hurt another person, whether it's in your community, whether it's outside of your community. No matter what you do, you will hurt somebody. You will, um, you will uh, cause harm uh, through lack of knowledge, through lack of experience, through lack of understanding. And End point. You will cause harm. And you have to be understanding of the fact that that has occurred. Um, whether that be um, engaging with a non-binary person who uses they and you continually misgender them uh, or, or you misgender them only once, whether that is not understanding somebody's identity as they throw a bunch of words that you're unfamiliar with, um, you know, oh, I once identified as a gay man, but now I identify as a pansexual, um, homoromantic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And people struggle to understand the way that people are defining their identities today. For me, the foundation, though, is that a lot of individuals in our community are struggling to stop when somebody says, you have caused me harm. Mm -hmm. And they're struggling to relate to a fundamental thing in my mind, which is that if I've caused har harm, I wish to know why, and I wish to know how to not cause it again. And I think that so many in our community are trying to do their best or trying to be the best or feeling judged in the process or struggling with their own guilt cycles that they don't think to stop in the moment when they cause harm, acknowledge it and move forward in a way that can create change. Yeah. And I think that our community struggles to acknowledge when it causes each other harm. And it's a form of lateral violence that's happening within our movement. Oh, definitely. It's a lateral violence that we keep burying under the proverbial, well, not just rock, but pile of boulders. And then we can't dig it out. And it is, it is that challenge of um, a couple of, of those things that how do we create that space um, where we, you know, sort of start clearing these away in a way that tries to, I'll use the phrase, minimise that harm to people because we are all hurt. And I'm, I don't know, I don't, you know, I mean, I'd like to think, now maybe I'm being idealistic here, that, you know, within the rainbow, I'll stick to within the rainbow communities, but I'd like to think no one, well, intentions are very grey area, but people, I don't think, perhaps want to cause harm, but how then... Can we help people move past being, I'll say, defensive um, in a way? Um, this is my first question. I'm going to come back to another one after that. You know, how can we do that in a way of um, compassion? And I'm also going to throw in something else. There's a saying, one of my favorite sayings comes from Picasso, 
who said every act of a every act of creation is first an act of destruction, and we're going to have to destroy this lateral hostility to create something better, maybe. Um, so I'll throw those two questions in at once first, and then I've got a third. Okay, so a couple of things come up for me. Um, one first is is you mentioned intent, um, and I do think that lots of people have good intent, and I spoke mm. about that inside of my statement was that many. Uh, many people come with the intent of wanting to make change for their community, but end up marginalizing so much of it. Um, and to be honest, if there's one thing that I could suggest to people who are engaged in our movements, who are engaged in rainbow movements, is you need to always have good intention, yes. But intention is not actually the end goal. It's the impact of that intent. And oh, people brilliant. need to start considering what the impact of their actions are. Because the intent of their action really doesn't matter. Because their actions are for a community. Their actions are for a group of people that they're trying to make better space for. Their actions are not for themselves. The intent is for themselves. The impact is for the other. That, and so at the oh. fundamental of it, they need to consider the impact and they need to respond based upon the impact of what they do. That is absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, no bias there. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, I'm, I'm close to tears hearing that. That is just absolutely amazing and can go to the heart of so many things, whether it's in rainbow communities or beyond. It's just, I mean, it's one of those, it's almost one of those things that it's so simple yet it's so powerful. So that has just, um, I'm just going to take a deep breath on that one, Andrew. That is phenomenal. And I think you've really got to start thinking about that. And it goes back, risk of sounding like a 20th century get off my lawn person. I was brought up with sayings like, think about the consequences of your actions, take responsibility for your choices. Is it, It's sort of linking into that a little um, to some extent. Yeah. It is. It's very much so. And oh, I'm, I'm, I'm about to sound semi-religious, but let's just be honest that so many of us are raised in religious families and in religious homes. And so much mm-hmm. of the trauma that we have comes from that space. I was raised in a Catholic home. And so, of course, I was raised with the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Now, you can imagine to my poor Christian family what it's like for me to be a practicing witch and, um, <laughs> and in an indigenous ceremonialist. Um, but, um, when I think about how I was brought up, I think of quote unquote, the 10 commandments. And I think of that concept of treat thy neighbor, like you would treat thyself. Mm. And I think that as much as that's there and fundamentally, it was probably very good 2000 years ago or 3000 years ago when it was written. Um, and there's fundamentals of truth in there. Mm -hmm. That rule actually speaks about intent. It doesn't speak about impact. Yeah, that's a re- it's a good way to put it. And by the way, as a nice Jewish goyal who went to a, an assumed all boys Christian school, um, I get I get the Ten Commandments, and I should say Shana Tova for um, about forty eight hours away for Yom Kippur for any, our Jewish listeners. Oh, yes, and um, also um, say hi to a musician I play frequently on this show, Wendy Rule, Australian born, now living in southwestern United, what is now known as the southwestern United States, who's a white witch and puts that into her music on many an occasion. Um, so, you know, sort of I think you've hit on something there that there is 
fundamental human truths that we can apply to these situations, yep. which can help perhaps demystify them a little, and um, you know that might be um, you know sort of um, a way, you know a way where we can start having a guiding principle and maybe turn that into a word of value um, of, of values. I'm a believer in values, and and then implementing them. That that's might be you know you're sort of getting on to a great way forward there. Um, that I think um, Andrew could. You know, start help us guide guide us out of this, and to use that earlier metaphor, start removing some of the boulders. Yep, exactly. And sometimes it's about reflecting on the way that you were told that you were supposed to live in interacting with people. Um, when I think about, and I mean, we're oh, we're going to hit everything: politics, religion, and all the things you're not supposed to talk about. Um, oh, we, but we're going to we do hit that them. on this show. Dive, <laughs> dive as deep as you want, and take, and we've got we've got a big um, air tank for you to dive deep. Go for it. So, if you think about politics for a moment, in in most um, countries in the world, you have a left and a right, mm-hmm. and we'll just for the moment we'll call the left um, democratic or socialist, and we'll call the right Republican or conservative. Um, Still with me? Yes, yes. So if I think about that for a second, there's also a middle. Um, And the middle often doesn't have a name, but let's just call it the middle. Mm -hmm. If I go to the the extremes of the polarity, there's a problem at both extremes. Um, If I think about the extreme on the right, on that conservative, on that Republican side, What I consistently see in the extreme is people who expect everybody to look the same and behave the same. Yeah. What I see on the extreme of the left is everybody expects people to think the same. Mm Mm-hmm. Keep going. What's somewhere in the middle is an interesting place where both become a reality, where neither exist at the same time because do we want everybody to think the same god no we don't we want Mm. creativity and thoughts we want diversity and thoughts we want people to question things we want people to and when i say question things i'm not saying question someone's identity i'm not saying question somebody's way of life but i am saying question how you understand that way of life or question your comprehension of it Um, and question um, the way that we approach the world. I do think that the extreme of either side is very challenging and and very detrimental because it excludes the other. Mm. And that's why in so many ways I'm a proponent of finding those center points because those center points are that place where quote-unquote chaos occurs and quote-unquote where that teardown that you talked about happens. But it's also where actual change occurs. It's where that foundation is laid. Um, When you're able to have people to come together collaboratively, even when they come from different sides of an issue, different sides of a perspective, different sides of a reality, and collectively come to decide to understand each other and respect each other, it's not about that they come from different spaces. It's about that they're agreeing to share one space. Yeah. And I think that for our rainbow movement, we are having extreme people on both 
sides of that in our movement, which is surprising. Um, but it it's there. It's it's true. And so many people in leadership roles, so many people in active roles in our movement are afraid of the chaos that is necessary in order to bring everybody into the middle. Yep. Um, you've, um, well, I'm just going to echo some more comments from roving reporter here. Um, a conversation that's long overdue, um, show your emotion, Sally, and let him, let, let Andrew, uh, let you rip and punt and uh, roving his punching fists in the air. Um, and there's a lot in there. Um, uh, the, the question has come up from our listener roving reporter, how to deal with unconscious bias. Um, what are your thoughts there? Unconscious bias is challenging. Um, mainly because the unconscious bias that we're talking about nowadays is unconscious bias towards people of color or uh, people who aren't from um, uh, privileged identities, white, cisgender, uh, heterosexual, um, uh, gay, lesbian. I'm just throwing out uh, mm-hmm. more, more quote-unquote normative identities. Um, there, we are talking consistently about unconscious bias from that group, but unconscious bias exists in everybody mm-hmm. and towards all kinds of people. And it's really difficult to call out or to call in more appropriately. And I do think that we too often call it out. And in the process of calling it out, you create a reaction. You don't have a proaction. Um, I mean, for me, some of the most challenging unconscious bias is, how do I word it? Unconscious bias isn't aware. And I'll give a direct example at Interpride. Um, Interpride for a long period of time, uh, as most movements have, we have conflict. Uh, Conflict exists in (laughs) um, the Pride movement. And so, of course, Interpride has a process um, for attempting to resolve conflict, whether it succeeds or doesn't succeed. And a group of people for a long period of time didn't even have an conscious awareness of the fact that they weren't listening when I shared the concept of utilizing restorative justice. Because when I would explain it, I would explain it from an indigenous perspective. And that perspective was foreign to them, so they shut off. That's unconscious bias. It's not unconscious bias with the intent to harm. It's not unconscious bias with a prejudgment. In that case, it was an unconscious bias of, I don't understand this domain, so I just don't even know what to do. Um, In a moment, in that moment, a way that unconscious bias could have been addressed was by people being transparent and simply saying, we don't understand. We don't understand the frame of reference that you're coming from. We don't understand how this would work. But there was an incapacity at the time for those people to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that unconscious bias is a reality in so many of us. And we have to make a commitment to be willing to be called in or called out when we're experiencing it. And we have to set what some people are calling accountable spaces or what some people are calling brave spaces. Um, This might be controversial to some, but I'm going to be blunt. Safe space doesn't work. It doesn't exist. Um, 
I have a child who's doing very well in Canada, uh, an amazing young trans man studying social work. Yay. Um, and I've, whether he agrees with me or not, I have always told him the only safe space that you have in this world is your home. And sometimes that isn't even safe. Mm -hmm. And you cannot go into the world expecting a safe space because it doesn't exist. You have to be brave in the spaces that you are in. I've got... And when you are not able to be brave in that space, you need to bring in your allies, your helpers, your protectors. And part of setting brave space is calling everybody to be those allies, those protectors, those people. That's what brave space is about. It's not about... Um, everybody being safe and everybody being able to be who they are. Let's be honest, 200 years down our battle for LGBTI human rights, not even discussing uh, panphobes or transphobes or, you know, people who are asexual, phobic, etc. There are still going to be homophobes out there in the world. They will exist. And no matter how much we don't want them to exist, they will. Mm, um, that, is, that is still... It, it will be there. Now, how do we create a space in which that homophobe can be in a space and be held accountable for who they are and who they treat, how they treat? We do it by setting brave space or accountable space. We do it by identifying the way that we agree to be in community with each other. And that's the most fundamental part for me. And I actually think that it roots inside of an indigenous way of being, which is the concept of community. Um, colonial thinking is very individualized. Um, yeah. And I think that one of the biggest challenges of our movements right now is they're very colonized. Uh, they're very colonial in their approach. And I say that in a sense that it's about so often, and it's needed, it's about individual rights, but it's also about individuals fighting for individuals. And I think that we need to consider the community as a whole, and we need to approach spaces from a community perspective. And so rooting, circling back to unconscious bias, if you're setting brave spaces, if as leaders we're committing to that, we're facilitating a space where unconscious bias can be called in instead of called out. Where it's not so much about ceasing to allow it, but it's actually about shifting it. Yeah. In my statement, I talk about how we need to cease to allow unconscious bias and discrimination and exclusion within our movement. And yes, we do need to cease to allow those things. Will we fully succeed in that? I don't know. But what I do know that we can succeed in is facilitating a space where we are attempting to cease it. Absolutely. Yeah, look, um, you actually telepathically answered a question virtually at the same time from um, one of our, uh, again, from our listener, Roving Reporter, about um, how to get through unconscious bias, um, um, which was um, incredible. Um, and we... Um, same listener has come up with a couple of other questions. Uh, um, and one is, and you've also answered a question of mine that I, that was that third question I was going to ask about 
calling in vis-a-vis calling out because you're giving us ways where we can keep calling in. The two questions that Roving Reporter has asked is, can you give an example of leaders you admire that possess the traits of which you are speaking? And the second question is advice for the next generation of leaders in Pride events, which I think you've given, but anything more, of course, but also people who follow the sort of philosophy um, of um, which you're talking about. Oh, that's a difficult one. Um, An interesting leader that uh, you probably aren't aware of, um, and she's a musician and she's an activist and she's rather brilliant in a lot of ways. And and I'm not going to say that she didn't spend some time calling people out, Mm. Um, but it was there. And uh, the woman's name is Buffy St. Marie. You may or may not be familiar with her. She's... Um, a Native American woman originally from Canada. She was uh, a victim of what Canada calls the 60s scoop. Mm. Uh, Political songwriter. She was part of the 60s movement. Wrote a ton of songs for a bunch of different people. She wrote for Elvis Presley. She wrote for Barbara Streisand. But as an activist, um, her her own personal uh, song, she was blacklisted um, in the U.S., for her political songwriting related to indigenous issues. Wow. Um, And don't get me wrong. There's definitely some call outs in the work that she does. Anytime that you're doing indigenous work, you end up doing some call outs simply because attempting to get through the anger that you experience for the discrimination that you experience call out happens. I mean, any group that has anger because of trauma is going to call people out. It's going to happen. But what I will say that, I've seen her do in her life is the way number one, she's described community, the way that she's described love and most importantly in her work with community outside of her music Um, from the cradle board projects that she's done with trying to bring up a new generation uh, that's more connected to their culture. And that is less um, described, discriminatory to themselves and to others. That's calling in. That's creating change. When I think of, when I think of the pride movement, um, and a lot of these people that I'm about to mention, probably um, people consider what they did as calling out. And there's a lot of records of when they did call people out. But there's also, sometimes people miss the fact that at the fundamentals of it, they were calling people in. And I think of Sylvia Riviera, I think of Lee Brewster, I think of those people, um, the trans women of color who were present at the Stonewall riots. Um, I, I think of the trans women who started Star in New York. And the reason why I say that is because these were women who lived at a time when they absolutely had nothing. There was no rights. There was no process. Mm-hmm. And as much as, yes, there's famous recordings of Sylvia Riviera taking a mic on the stage of, I believe it was the 1973 New York City Pride, calling people out. She had spent at least 10 years calling people in so that that event could happen. Yep. And so I do think that, do we always succeed in calling in? No. Mm. Um, But it's there. 
Um, it's interesting because as, as a man, you would think that a lot of the mentors or the leaders or the people that I look up to or, or, or have used in a way would be male identified, but a lot of them are female identified and a lot of them come from all different kinds of spaces and, and not all of them are queer. Uh, let's just be honest, but mm -hmm. it's there. And, and some of them are really unusual, like from an indigenous music perspective, um, I mean, I think of a tribe called Red in Canada, which is this really amazing group that takes traditional powwow music and put it to dance music and challenge the concept that Indigenous youth could combine modern culture with traditional culture. I think of Tanya Taguk, who's a traditional throat singer. And traditional throat singing in Inuit culture, you have to do it with another woman. She wasn't able to. And she said, no, I'm going to do this. And she's produced amazing material that talks about the issues that the Inuits face, while also challenging traditional ways of being um, at the same time. Uh, calling in is not simple. Um, it's complex. Oh gosh, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, look, um, I'm going to have to get some references to Tanya for, um, from you. Um, I think, um, you know, you've, um, you've <clears throat> I, I'm just sort of, <laughs> there's so much to process here, I do have to say, um, that, um, that we could talk about um, in the next, I've got about six minutes um, to go. Um, a couple of questions again have come in. Um, your thoughts on younger people like, for example, Janelle Monet, um, and also um, um, any if you have any knowledge of Australian rainbow spaces and rainbow leaders. Of course so. Um, so I don't know a ton about um, Janelle Monet, but I do know that she's a singer, she's a songwriter, um, and she's, she's won a ton of Grammys and, uh, she's very much, how do I word it? Um, she's pushed forward uh, as a public figure. Uh, how do I word that? She's pushed forward and she's spoken about the experiences of her community, of her life. And she's expressed that in her work. Um, and she's done so, um, Janelle Monet and a lot of people like Janelle Monet are using the platform that they have to make change. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're using that in really profound and powerful ways. Uh, they're using that in uh, the way that they move through their careers. They're using that in the way that they utilize the space that they have within um, quote unquote public interest to talk about issues, to raise awareness. And I truly think that that's powerful. Um, you had mentioned one other person and I've lost it. I'm sorry. Um, um, oh, um, not in the last few minutes. Um... Yeah. No, I just I did ask if you knew of any, um, you know, think about your thoughts about Australian queer spaces and any ah, Australian yes. leaders. Yeah, Australian queer space. So, um, 
Australian queer space and indigenous people. There are some amazing indigenous people. That was the question. Thank you. Yeah. I got it back in my head. So there's some pretty amazing stuff happening with First Nations and indigenous people down in Australia and in the Torres Strait Islands and out into the Pacific Islands as well, too. Um, there is, um, and I've had the opportunity to engage with some. Uh, as an example, um, I, I've worked very closely with Beck Johnson, who is an indigenous woman, Goring Goring woman, who is president of Brisbane Pride. And she's doing some amazing stuff with uh, the federal level. Um, Interpride actually just had um, Australia as part of what's called Region 20. Mm -hmm. And actually, shout out to Australia. Australia will host World Pride in 2023. Mm -hmm. uh, Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras is going to be hosting it uh, mm -hmm. in 2023. And um, they are really engaging um, First Nations queer leaders. Um, and some of the work that I'm seeing down there is both, especially in queer community, is related to arts expression, but also related to traditional identities. And um, the, uh, the space that brother boys and sister girls um, mm -hmm. have within community, their value, their traditional roles, and the modern context of where they come from. Um, Let's be honest, homophobia and transphobia are imported concepts in most communities. They're colonial concepts. And you can see that even in the laws that we're fighting now. When you look at the Pacific Islands and you look at the number of islands that face uh, criminalization of our people, um, those laws are all colonial. Um, but then you also look at certain places. And I always think of a couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Samoa and my home community in Canada is an island community. And of course, being on a Pacific island, all island communities um, have similarities. Um, they're all vastly different, but there's certain connections that are the same. But what I find amazing about Samoa is Samoa, uh, it is, um, we are still criminalized as people, but socially, Fa'afafine um, women, um, have been part of that culture forever and will be part of that culture. And not that they're outside of that law, but somehow culture supersedes colonialism in that space. And I find that really powerful coming from the Pacific is the way that indigenous communities have been able to maintain um, or not maintain. Uh, yeah, maintain is a good word, but I guess um, be empowered enough to overcome um, as queer communities, some of those colonial impacts. And I think that there's so much that uh, the rest of the world can learn from indigenous queer communities within the Pacific um, about how that part of the world um, has been able to retain um, knowledge of our traditional places in, in indigenous society. Yep, they've <clears throat> the fact that they have fought against that combination of colonialism and I'll use the shorthand queer phobia is quite extraordinary. Um, we're just about out of time. Um, one more question from a listener: um, What role does the media play in creating such wide and narrow spaces, and how do we challenge that status quo in a constructive way? 
Oh God, media plays a huge role in it. Let's be <laughs> honest. Media is a business. It's about what's marketing. And to be honest, we can attack media, but also media is <clears throat> consumer based. We're the ones who are buying it. We are the ones who are watching it. Um, and one of the biggest ways that I think I look at countries all around the globe and I see media being defunded by governments. Mm. Um, and to be honest, if we're to advocate for change in the media, we need to actually be petitioning to our governments that media needs to be funded and most importantly, marginalized media. Um, mainstream media is a huge bubble to pop. It's probably not poppable at this point, but what is able to be done is to actually build up marginalized media um, because that's where change can occur. Queer media, trans media, indigenous media, um, it needs to be supported by local governments. It needs to be funded um, and it needs to be given a stage because that's where change can occur. Um, and as that grows, that will filter into the mainstream. Yeah. Look, I could talk to you for another about, well, 10 hours, but I, A, I'd need more coffee, and B, I'd be cutting into our next program. So I, sadly, I think we're going to have to leave it there. But um, I, I'm just, wow. There's so much you can say. The huge um, joy and compliments coming in from listeners, um, Hoffler and um, Roving Reporter, Kayleen and others, um, are just phenomenal and they're very, very much deserved. And all I can say is at some point when we can all travel again safely and legally, you're going to have to come to Australia and address a major in-person gathering and I'll make sure I facilitate that. I'll stick my neck out immediately on air and say that because, Andrew, the wisdom, the insight, the perspectives, the hope, the common sense concepts you've got are just stratospherically sensational and fantastic. And um, I'm just... Um, I, I, you can hear that I'm really moved by our conversation and I'll say personally, we've got to stay in touch um, and do stuff uh, of some of sort. And um, look, I, whatever you do in the future, well, I don't know what, I don't think it matters what so much, but it's how you've got the how worked out and because you're doing what you're doing. And um, I just want to thank you for coming on the show at such short notice Um um, being also, um, you will go down in history as my first ever live to air zoom interview. <laughs> so there's a small amount well, of history. Um, a couple I'm... of first times, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Look, it's an absolute pleasure. And as I say, we, I hope one day, um, when we can, you can, we can travel safely that, um, you can come, um, to this continent and we can hug in person and talk more about things that are going on but all I can say is wishing you every health happiness and truth in from now and in your future endeavors and thanks for your time from 4 a.m through to 5 a.m Geneva time much appreciated of course so was happy to be here you have a great day and thank you to all those listening take care now Andrew bye for now take care bye well I'll just take a deep breath there um well 15 years of radio the some i love doing this show every week and well to use the old australian saying about beer all is all beer is good some are better than others well i've got to say that interview was just one of the most amazing interviews 
I've ever done, um, if I can just say that. Thank you to all the comments in from the, our listeners, um, um, Hoffler, um, James, Nigel, Kayleen, Roving Reporter, um, phenomenal. Thank you for your listenership. Very quickly, some news in during the program. Um, um, I want to give um, the, the saddest, sad news first that the passing of former Sex Discrimination Commissioner Susan Ryan, um, who of course was a pioneer in her way for equality, equity and social justice. Um, also, um, we are getting announcements, but the, to me in a way today, if I can say as much as there's, there's sort of important to our day of quality of life here, they almost don't seem to me as big as um, um, what we're talking about here. Um in terms of um, you know what James has said, also we'll try to wrap up more of um, the Stand By Us conference, but there will be a Stand By Us with an I a YouTube channel with some of the more panel discussions on it coming up online over the next few weeks. That um, the panel type of discussions were recorded, but it was a phenomenal week for my Bi Plus identity. Wow! And on a lighter note, um, after thinking we would. We'd gone back to winter and we're going to be so for another week. All of a sudden it seems to have cleared and all the forecast temperatures went up by about three degrees here in Melbourne. Who knows? Maybe the world is turning. Um, thank you again to all listeners today on the show podcast. Um, if you are listening live going up soon, reminder again that um, um, Daylight Savings kicks in next week to make your um, adjustments of sleep or time zones if you are wherever you are in the known universe. If you're in the unknown universe, um, Tell me what time zone you're in by some means. I'll take it out today um, with a little bit of couldn't be more appropriate, totally gorgeous from Gord in the Act and um, their version of the speech by Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream. Thanks very much for tuning in to Out of the Pan. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. Now is the time. Make real the promises of democracy Now is the time To rise from the dark and desolate valley Of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice Now is the time To lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice To the solid rock of brotherhood Now is the time To make justice a reality let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom By drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline We must not allow our creative protests To degenerate into physical violence Again and again We must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force I am not unmindful that some of you have come here Out of great trials and tribulations Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom Left you battered by the 